What's up? Welcome back to the Keeping Stock Sneaker Podcast. This week, we're going to take a look at the history of Air Max, where it started, how it evolved, how it almost didn't become a thing, and how we got to Air Max Day coming up on Thursday, March 26th. But before we hop into the main content of today's episode, just a quick reminder that Keeping Stock comes up every Sunday on all platforms. So make sure to rate, follow, subscribe, and let's hop right into it. Air Max can be seen everywhere from Nike, it's knockoffs, it's definitely iconic. You can recognize it in almost any shoe that contains it. And it's most notably connected with Tinker Hatfield. But to my surprise when doing the research here is that Tinker Hatfield only evolved Air Max and wasn't the one who founded it. And the story of how it was founded was a little odd. Essentially, Air Max came to Nike prior to 1978, late 1977, and a rep from a company known as Tetra, their research and development part department and representative, getting to Nike, this representative had pitched it to 23 other companies. An odd coincidence once you look at Nike's line, you look at their subsidiary Jordan brand and the number 23, but 23 companies turned down the idea of utilizing air in their apparel or their footwear. And even when it was pitched, Phil Knight was skeptical. Phil Knight had to utilize this air, that prototype, and take it for a test jog before he signed off on bringing air into Nike. And you can only imagine if Nike had turned this down, where they would be today, as we'll learn further how iconic and revolutionary Air Max was in sneakers. And when Nike partnered with Tetra, they were extremely secretive about this product. Absurdly secretive, where in Seiko, Maine, in building 108, hidden off the side of Nike's manufacturing facility with multiple levels, if you could only access certain levels at a time. So you only had level one access, or only level two, or only level three but almost no one had the ability to go to all three levels. And the reason behind that is because the patent was still pending. This technology was brand new. Shoes were all still just using polyurethane foam for their runners and their trainers. And this idea of Air Max had not been heard before and could be revolutionary. And so the way it worked was on one floor, they injected these air molds in little air bags And then they poured the polyurethane over them in the midsole. And then in another building, they applied it to the sneaker. So where the sneaker's actually being made, those workers had no idea how Air Max was being injected into the midsole. And was completely hidden on the shoe. And so the first shoe to act came out in 1978, and that was the Air Tailwind. It was the first sneaker to utilize air for lower impact while you're running, lighten up the shoe, And they debuted this at the Hawaii Marathon, where they were essentially handing them out a very limited amount of pairs for $50 a piece. So a high-tech performance shoe for $50. You can't even get the lowest line of Air Max for $50 now. Obviously, that doesn't account for inflation, changing of costs and materials, and marketing. But it was $50 at the time. And how did Air Max get into the shoe? Well... It came from Frank Rudy, who was 
a NASA engineer who found himself working in design at Nike and decided to take what Tetra is using in that air mold technology and put it into the tailwind and go through many prototypes and finally unveil it at the Hawaii Marathon. And that's the first model, the Air Tailwind in 1978. And if you aren't familiar with what Air Max is, or you've always been curious on what's inside, essentially what they're doing today is using a flexible polyurethane pouch and filling it with pressurized gas, typically nitrogen. And this is visible from the exterior of the shoe. So this first air tailwind, it wasn't visible. It was just hiding in the heel as it does hide in some zoom model sneakers for Nike now. But the goal was to reduce weight and push that superior cushioning with these air units, air bags, the air window eventually. Eventually, Nike starts hitting a slump after 78. They're still a new company. They're trying to grow. They obviously aren't what they are today. And they acquire a designer working in footwear, Tinker Hatfield, originally an architect. And obviously Tinker Hatfield thinks outside the box and is always trying to expand on his creations and utilize new technology, create eye-catching silhouettes from his love for architecture, lines, curves, the overall shape. And when Tinker found out about this Air Max technology and how to utilize it further, he decided to take a trip to Paris and then visit the Centre Pompidou, which is a very noticeable building if you're in Paris. It has the clear tubes throughout. It's very rigid. But you can see inside at certain points from the exterior. And if you've ever seen Nigel Sylvester's Go series, there's a, a video of him riding in the Pompidou on his BMX bike, an awesome YouTube series. Uh, hopefully comes out with one soon, but if you haven't, go check that out. And so Tinker uses that building as his inspiration. And when Tinker decides, you know, hey, this is what I want to do, employees were a little upset. It was a little too on edge for Nike at the time, and they wanted Tinker Hatfield to be fired. But lo and behold, this idea had opened up a curiosity in the director of cushioning innovation at the time, David Farland. And David Farland backed Hatfield on the design of this sneaker. They knew it was a huge risk as everyone thought it was going to pop, people wouldn't buy it, thought it'd be weak, and they were willing to take that risk to break Nike out of the slump. And so in 1987, this is a year where pop culture is really shifting. The Simpsons came on air. Michael Jackson had released the hit single, Bad. Aretha Franklin was the first woman inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And Nike is catching some wind trying to break out of the slump and releases their Revolution ad. And this ad is iconic. It's the first TV commercial to feature a Beatles song. And you also see Nike athletes, Michael Jordan, John McEnroe, and some more familiar faces throughout the video. And what are they showing? The Nike Air Max One. And the Air Max One was completely different to anything the market had seen for a trainer. And it was so unique that even the director of cushioning innovation, David Farland, 
was still a little on edge about backing Tinker Hatfield to go through with this until David Farland was at an airport talking on the phone with some of the designers at Nike and a couple people walk by wearing the sneaker. And he remembers saying out loud, what a crazy risk that we just went through, but this is about to be a huge reward. And he was right. And then this revolutionary silhouette as pop culture is changing styles, traditions, ideas are evolving. We go right into the 90s. And this is when streetwear starts to take off. We look at times changing from kind of conservative um, backing in your apparel to this very loud, energetic convergence of sports, culture, hip-hop is on the rise, things are edgy, and Air Max is crushing it in this scene because it's still a performance training shoe, even though today you may not be seeing someone at the gym or in a marathon wearing Air Max 1s or Air Max 90s or 95s or 97s or whatever Air Max model. But at this time, it was still used for both. So people were using it for track and field while people were using it in music videos. And this essentially is further helping pull Nike out of the slump, continue to grow dominant in that athletic training field. And to the people who thought that the bubble was going to pop, it may not be as durable. Well, essentially what those air bubbles are filled with is equivalent to a car tire. 25 PSI in some cases. may not be a modern tire, but pretty close you could fill up a tire with that much pressure. And it continued to pay off with iconic silhouettes, colorways, and it was just different, and that's what people were looking for. And so as Air Max grows into a plethora of silhouettes and models, some of the historic moments you look at is the Air Max 95, the first Air Max to feature four-foot airs. You look at the first collaboration on an Air Max one was with Atmos. You get the Vapor Max, which took seven years to develop and create. And then you get the first official lifestyle Air Max, which actually was the 270 that recently came out, followed up by the 720. And in that whole line from Frank Rudy in the 1978 Air Tailwind to the 1987 Air Max One, and so on. Nike's been pushing the limits with Air Max and continuing to evolve it. It hasn't stayed stagnant for over 40 years. You can see it in, yeah, running shoes. Now we see it in casual, lifestyle, performance basketball, football, hidden in, in soccer shoes in some case, or soccer boots as I should say. It's being utilized as much as possible and always trying to evolve the performance. Personally, my favorite Air Max or sneaker that contains Air Max has to be the LeBron 10s. Full 360 Air in a basketball shoe to take all of that pressure and shock absorption off of the knees and the lower body and the hips. One of my favorite shoes to play in of all time. And that wouldn't be possible without the continued evolution of what Nike's done with Air Max. And this is maybe the evolution we see Adidas do with their Ultra Boost over the line. And that's the biggest factor, is Nike never became stagnant with the Air Max technology. And they continued to evolve it. Further, they protected it. Because that company, Tetra, that they signed 
partnered with in 1978, they bought in 1991 and then relabeled the brand, renamed the brand, rebranded in 1998 to in-house materials. And then finally in 2017, they named it Air Manufacturing Unit. And so the reason why they had to buy them, it's obvious, right? If they would have let Tetra go in 1991, 1990, right after the Air Max 1 released in 87, was on top of everyone's minds, the one of the most popular silhouettes in the country, and Tetra leaves to go to Adidas, Puma, a competitor, Air Max is lost forever. And you don't get your 95s, your 97s, your 2000s, your Vapor Max, Air Max 360, etc. And then to commemorate that, Nike started promoting Air Max Day. The first Air Max Day taking place on March 26th of 2014, 27 years after the Air Max 1. And they released the one-to-one recreation of the Volt in infrared colorways, or the, the infrared colorway with the Volt on the tongue and the tag, as I should say. And at that point, it generated Nike's most liked Instagram post ever. And it was a hit because a large portion of the sneaker community loves Air Maxes. And there's true Air Max OGs. And they were thrilled to see this comeback. Similar to how people are thrilled to seeing Dunks and SB Dunks come back. Nike followed that up in 2015. And that's when they released a new model, the Air Max Zero, a more modern version of the Air Max One from a scrapped Tinker Hatfield sketch. And then they also instituted global activations with events like parkour and uh, Germany. You had additional write-ups on some of these original Air Max collectors and hunters in the Masters of Max or the Air Max archive, still available on Nike's website. We follow that up in 2016. We get a little bit of different approach. We get three HTM drops. So if you aren't familiar with HTM, that is Hiroshi Fujiwara, Tinker Hatfield, Matt Parker, Mark Parker. And so we get the Air Max LD0 for Hiroshi Fujiwara, the Air Max 90 Superfly for Tinker Hatfield, and the Air Max Ultra for Mark Parker. But they also upped the ante in 2016, maybe the wildest year with Air Max Con in Tokyo, Hong Kong, New York, this very experiential convention showcasing Nike. And that was the New York and Soho had partnered with Ronnie Feig and Kith Treats and had little Kith uh, Air Max treats being served. And then they put out the documentary, Masters of Air. And to follow up in 2017, the 30-year anniversary, we had seven releases highlighted by the Vapor Max, which took seven years to make, as I mentioned. And then they had Travis Scott hosting block parties in LA and New York in the same day. With that day being the day Travis Scott was convinced he wanted to sign with Nike. You can learn more about that in my Travis Scott podcast a few episodes ago. And then even some creator sent a pair of Vapor Max to space, 117,000 feet into the air. And the biggest was the interaction with the community, voting forward. And if you aren't familiar with what 
what they did to vote for it. You can pick a, any Air Max created by a creator. And the winner, Sean Watherspoon. And so 2018 slows down a bit. Watherspoon releases his 97.1 collaboration hybrid with Corduroy on it. We also saw the first lifestyle silhouette in the Nike 270. And then we saw the Vapor Max Flynet 2.0. But also, if you remember, HQ Trivia was popping off at that time. They released 100 exclusive Air Max 270 pairs to the winners of HQ Trivia that day. And then 2019, last year, they switched it up. They went to give fresh air for you to donate your shoes and help recycle them and uh, upgrade parks and benches and tracks. And we saw, you know, the on-air competition with New York, London, Paris, Tokyo, Soho, or Shanghai, sorry, and Singapore. Um, And that was 2019. And so with that, 2020 is right around the corner. You know, we have the metallic pack, we have the duck um, Air Max 90 coming out, and, you know, some, once again, the original Air Max fiends are in love with some of these drops. I mean, the duck camo 90 looks a little bit different. They've tweaked it a bit, but, you know, if you really wanted that silhouette and you wanted a new pair that may have not been beaten up or crumpled or out of your price range, you can try grabbing it on Air Max Day. And that's the history of Air Max. So I hope you guys enjoyed that portion or maybe learned something and added to your sneaker knowledge or just found it cool how Nike brought on Air and utilized it to elevate the brand, even though they were in a slump at the time and how Tinker Hatfield expanded it. So I hope you guys did enjoy. Um, Coming up next is going to be some content from this week that I found was interesting in upcoming releases. If not, I appreciate you guys for listening. Make sure to follow the podcast and we'll be right back after the break. If you like what you've heard so far, make sure to follow us on social media, Instagram at keeping stock and Twitter at keeping underscore stock. Further, social media is always found in the show notes and other cool things that are going on with the keeping stock podcast. But the best place to find that is going to be following us on Instagram and Twitter. Without further ado, let's get back to the show. Welcome back. So this week, last week's episode was on the coronavirus and how it's affecting sneakers. And I would be amiss to not talk about it again because it's picked up drastically stateside where we've seen the MLB, the NBA, the NHL, the MLS, the NCAA March Madness Division One tournaments and all NCAA tournaments in general canceled or suspended. We've seen colleges shut down for a few weeks to see how coronavirus is dealt with and forcing kids to go to school online or finding new places to stay. It's been significantly stressful um, for a lot of people in these areas that are affecting because it's not proactive reasoning. It's reactive. It's already spreading. It's already happening. And not to you know try to incite fear, just kind of being a straight shooter here, it's It's one of those things where, yes, there is a 3% mortality rate with the coronavirus. Um, And yes, it is more dangerous than the common flu. But the pandemonium and fear that is occurring is making things a lot worse than what is actually to come. People selling out or buying up all the toilet paper or all the rice, all the disinfectant ripes, whatever it may be, 
um, is only kind of creating that fear mongering. And I hope everyone that's affected by coronavirus has, you know, the ability to get tested and recovers, stays healthy, continues to hydrate, is getting adequate sleep to keep your immune system as powerful as possible. And the cool content from this is Katie Porter, the representative out of California, essentially grilling the head of the CDC to promise free coronavirus tests in the United States. Because prior to that, Ohio had a thousand coronavirus tests for 11 million people. And that resulted in their estimations are 50, 60,000 people have it because unknowingly everyone's been shunning or trying to avoid it and not pro- providing the proper test. So um, in terms of what that's doing to sneakers, right, is you miss out on the, all the marketing from NCA March Madness and TV, you potentially cut out the NBA, whether that's the rest of the season or the NBA finals, if they don't end up pushing it back into the summer, which would be absurd. So no finals colorways, no push for, you know, new balance in Kawhi, no redemption for LeBron and the Lakers. You miss out on a lot of opportunities and, you know, rightfully so for the health of the players, the fans, the staff, and everyone involved. On another note, some uh, cool content that I finished up was finished up The Outsider. Really enjoyed it. Uh, it's on HBO, so if you have the opportunity to watch it, it is a fun thought exploration of a TV show, about 10 episodes. Uh, so let me know what your thoughts on that are. And let's hop into the releases for this week, being the 15th through the 21st. And Air Max Day is occurring on Thursday the 26th. So you have about a week to... Uh, find your favorite pair of Air Maxes and break them out of the closet or go get a pair if you really want to. And disclaimer, these releases could change due to the virus and state bans of more than 250 people in an event. So first come, first serve. We've seen stores change. We've seen release dates get pushed back, maybe because of manufacturing, maybe because the slow downtick in foot traffic in retail spaces. But here are the releases that if you aren't gonna go get in person, maybe you can grab online. On the 16th, we have the Oreo pack from Nike. So that's the PG4, the Zoom Freak 1, and the Kyrie 6 in black and white with white speckles to make the Oreo look. We also have the LeBron 17 College Navy. Didn't want LeBron to go in the Oreo route, so they gave him this College Navy colorway, I guess. We get the Nike Woman's Air Max Verona, black and pink. Uh, We see another, I guess, simple um, undefeated Nike Air Max collab. It's really between these Air Max collabs with Nike really haven't, and undefeated really haven't done it for me. Very simple, um, one color blocking color. And this one's going to be in that anthracite colorway. Potentially the Air Jordan 4 Neon, mixture of the Air Max 95 Neon and the Air Jordan 4. I'm on the fence here. I I could see myself trying to grab these or maybe holding back. It does make me think about the Air Jordan 4 Fears, which I need to grab a hand, my hands on a pair, whether that's a 12 and a half and a used version or a new version. I've always been wanting to try to get those. So maybe if I see a good price out there soon or someone's getting rid of them, I'll pick up those Fear 4s. But the release is the Air Jordan 4 Neon on the 21st. And then we also see the Adidas Yeezy Boost 350 V2 in the cinder colorway. Um, 
yeah, another Yeezy 350 V2 colorway. So, you know, it's tough for me to say stop making those colors when I love Jordan 1s and they make some very similar colors sometimes, but the way those Yeezys are colored are all starting to blend to me as well. But go ahead and let me know on social media what you're planning on picking up or what you think is absolute trash or maybe the Air Maxes you'll be wearing for Air Max Day on Thursday the 26th. But I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and picked something up. Uh, Like I said, every Sunday a new episode comes out, so make sure to follow on your favorite platform. And I'll catch you guys next time.